Oh man, welcome to church, New Hope Community Church, you all that are here and you all that are online. Um, as Jen mentioned, we are going to be taking communion in a few uh, minutes, um, and you know, it occurs to me, um, we have these prepackaged communion, what they call fellowship cups, um, and uh, you know, it occurs to me that if, if you're worshiping from home um, and, and you would like to participate uh, in communion, there is... Uh, our elders team actually had a, a unanimous conversation about this last weekend. Uh, there is no reason why you shouldn't feel free to do that with us from home. Uh, we would just love um, for you to, to participate in communion with us because we believe that the Holy Spirit can transcend time and space. Um, however, if... am I in a bad place? <laughs> anyway. We could, all right, we'll, we'll try to keep going. Um, if you would like to um, uh, have those communion cups um, at your home, I actually would be happy to deliver them to your house. Uh, if that's something that would serve you, I would be happy uh, to do that. At any rate, uh, good morning to everyone. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of First Kings, chapter 8-ish. Um, last week we were in chapter 3. Uh, and this week we're going to be in chapter 8, so in a few minutes we'll talk about the gap. But before we do that, I'd, um, I'd like to say a few words about the current election. In 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writes these words, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. In obedience to this command, uh, we make it a point at New Hope to pray for those in positions of power and influence um, in our society on a regular basis. Oftentimes we read uh, from our prayers of the people, which gives us an opportunity to pray for, for leaders specifically, by name. Um, it's good for us to do that corporately, and regardless of who wins the election on Tuesday, we will continue to pray for whoever is in office. Um, it's also a good habit to pray for those in authority uh, in part, as a part of your personal prayer and devotion. Uh, if you're looking for an opportunity, by the way, to do that on Tuesday morning, um, I actually, is my last um, contribution to the 30 days of prayer and fasting that we've been doing with Grace Fellowship Church, um, and it started at 8 a.m., I'll, uh, I'll be leading us in a time of prayer um, that'll be going out on Facebook Live. If you need more information on that, uh, you can look at your Inu Hope. Um, but in that same vein, it's important for us as Americans to remember that our government depends on the principle of self-rule. As Abraham Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address, our government is one that is of the people, by the people, and for the people. If we are to submit to the governing authorities of our land, it's our responsibility to be the people and participate in this electoral process. So followers of Christ in America, have the responsibility to engage in civic discourse and to vote according to who we feel will best promote justice and mercy. And we do this with the conviction that our ultimate hope is in none of it. 
Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is not a Republican. And institutionally, our church doesn't endorse candidates or political initiatives, party initiatives. That being said, if you are of age to vote, you're going to have the freedom, you may have already exercised the freedom to participate in this election. Therefore, taking our cue from Scripture, our responsibility is to saturate this time in prayer. So before we do uh, go any further, I would like to do that. So please join me in prayer. Father, we ask that you would guide us in being a people mindful of your blessings and happy to do your will. Bless our land with honorable industry, sound learning, and pure manner of action. <clears throat> Save us from violence, discord, and confusion. Save us from pride and arrogance and from evil every way, every evil way. It is with humble and grateful hearts that we thank you for our prosperity and request that you guide us in the way of justice and truth. Almighty God, to whom we must give account for all of our powers and privileges, guide the people of the United States in the election of officials and representatives that by faithful administration and wise laws, the rights may be, that rights may be protected, that the rights of all may be protected and our nation be enabled to fulfill your purposes. Lord, however this election goes, we know that your sovereignty is eternal and that nothing is beyond your control. We ask that we, the church, would stay united primarily around the revolutionary gospel of Jesus with our eyes fixed on your everlasting kingdom, which is, which is currently within our grasp. We ask that you would heal this divided people and help us to corporately experience the peace that can come only from you, Lord. Through the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, our Pastor, our Priest, amen. So fittingly, we're continuing this morning in our series, Kingdom Promise. And the premise of this series is that our responsibility as Christians is to act according to uh, the kingdom promised to us rather than the kingdom in front of us. You see, we are citizens of God's kingdom, make no mistake about that, and yet we're also part of the here and now, which is of course filled with brokenness and injustice. So our responsibility as citizens of God's kingdom, living in the here and now, is to live like Jesus is already on the throne because he is. And to help make that point, we've, we've been looking at the, the life of King Solomon, who reigned over Israel about 3,000 years ago. Solomon was the, king, uh, was the son of King David, uh, who had been promised by God that through his bloodline would be established an everlasting kingdom, a forever kingdom. So there we begin to see that God is all about the long game. He's working in the moment with the royal figures such as David and Solomon, but ultimately these stories are pointing towards something, or rather, someone who will be the ultimate fulfillment of that kingdom promise. And yeah, we're a, king, we're a Christian church, so, so that cat's out of the bag. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of these promises. 
and the eternal king that will be forever on the throne. Still, these ancient stories, they are rich with insight and anticipation of the kind of kingdom God desires to establish on earth as in heaven. So, for the past two weeks, we've, we've been in 1 Kings 3, and we saw Solomon rise to power, um, and we've been, we looked at two particular episodes, two important episodes. First, we see this moment where God tells Solomon to ask for something. God, or Solomon could have asked for, for anything, fame, fortune, prayer, uh, power, anything, and yet Solomon, in, in one of his better moments, asks for an understanding heart. He, he asks for the ability to listen, for a, for a listening heart that will enable him to govern God's people justly. God gives Solomon what he asks for, and then he, he makes him extraordinarily wise. But then he also gives him something that he doesn't ask for, and he makes him extraordinarily rich. It, it shows us that there's this kingdom principle of first things. When we put the good of the kingdom first, by loving God and loving others, then other things will be added to that by God's hand under His sovereignty. Conversely, if we, if we put the desire of fame and fortune and individual success first, we end up focusing so much on our selfish desires that the, that the greater good is lost. And we call that idolatry. Then, in the second episode that we looked at last week, we get an example of Solomon's wisdom in action when, when he settles this dispute over a child between two women. Now, in chapters 4 through 8, in, chapters, in, uh, in 1 Kings, we, we get something now of like a musical number. So, if this was a movie, there's a section of introduction, like, you know, we meet Peter Parker. He gets bit by a spider after going on a field trip, um, and we watch him get his powers. And then there's a scene of, that's like emblematic of the main character's new scenario. So, you know, Spider-Man stops a bank robbery. And then after that, typically in the movie, we get like a montage, usually set to music that, that showcases like the development and the solidification of the main character's new abilities. Beginning in 1 Kings 4, we see this, this sweeping explanation of Israel's prosperity under Solomon. One of the first things we're told is that Israel has plenty and that they were content. <clears throat> During this time, Solomon grew an international reputation as a man who possessed an uncanny wisdom. And um, people come from far and wide to experience this wisdom and to listen to what Solomon had to say. Note that, by the way, note that. Because people came from far and wide to listen to what Solomon had to say. Remember that, that the request from God was, was for an understanding heart. That's what Solomon asked for. The request was for Solomon to understand the people's needs. And God grants Solomon this request. And now see what, what God's doing with that. We, we see his fame spreading throughout the region. And because of his God-given ability to listen, others have traveled from far and wide to now listen to what Solomon has to say. There's an important principle here for the church, right? If we are really for Catonsville, Baltimore, and beyond, grab a magnet on your, way back, uh, on your way out, by the way. One of the most important things for us to do 
is to, sh- to show others that we are for them is to listen to them, to understand them. When they express pain, our job is to hear them, not just try to fix them. We're also told of the, the various aspects of Solomon's wisdom. We're told that, that he wrote Proverbs and, and songs so that um, that kind of stresses his creative wisdom. We're told that he knew about plants and animals and birds and fish and reptiles, so evidently there, there was some natural or what we would call scientific wisdom. He was able to work with surrounding nations or what we might, um, in order to gather resources for the building of the temple, which is Solomon's big project. So there was a diplomatic wisdom as well as like business wisdom. And we're told that he had a thriving workforce, bustling with productivity. So there was management wisdom. Overall, we're shown a picture of a very successful man leading a very successful and influential people. Again, what if the church leaned into those categories all with their eyes fixed on the kingdom? I think that's a a very powerful wisdom. Um, I wonder um, if somebody could grip me that bottle of water over there. (laughs) Sorry, I know none none of you are near it, but Dan, please don't have a drink. So in the midst of, of, of construction, so in the midst of the construction site one day, thank you, Dan. While things were moving, things were shaking, there was truckloads of materials coming in, and there's sounds of jackhammers, and everybody's wearing hard hats because there's so much to do, and they were all very, very, very busy. And in the midst of this construction site, with all these things coming and going, the, the word of the Lord comes to Solomon. And Solomon says, and God says, Solomon, uh, I know you're busy, just, just a word, please. Concerning this house that you are building, if you will walk by my statutes, and obey my rules, and keep all my commandments, and walk in them. Then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and will not forsake my people. That's chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, in kind of the middle of this montage. And if you look at your Bibles, and you have a look at the next verse, What does it say? Are you going to go get me another bottle of water? That would be great. Thank you. (coughs) It is now. Sorry. (coughs) Um, If you look at your, uh, that was chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, (coughs) in the middle of the montage. And if you look at your Bibles... And have a look at the next verse. What does it say? It says, Solomon got, his hand, uh, got on his hands and knees and then and there and thanked God for his wisdom and prosperity that he had been given and prayed that God would keep him humble. No. It says Solomon built the house and finished it. And then we get a few more chapters dedicated to the intricacies of the temple design and its furnishings. It took Solomon seven years to finish the temple. <clears throat> And then it took him another 13 years to build his palace, and we're told all about that. He spared no expense. Finally, in chapter 8, 
After the Ark of the Covenant is brought into the temple, <clears throat> Solomon blesses God and he offers a prayer of dedication. He stands before the altar of the Lord and he speaks <clears throat> about how God's going to keep his promises. There's even still humility in his words. And he says, <clears throat> sorry, he says in chapter 8, verse 27, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less <clears throat> this house that I have built. Yet you have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord, my God, listening to the cry and to the people that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day towards this house, <clears throat> the place which you have said my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place, when you hear, forgive. And when you hear, forgive. The temple was known as the <clears throat> intersection between heaven and earth. If a man had sin that needed to be confessed, the temple would be a place where forgiveness could happen. And Solomon continues praying. He prays for sinners <clears throat> and he prays for Israel. He prays for rain, and he prays against famine. He even prays for immigrants, <coughs> that God would come through the land, uh, prays for immigrants that, that would come through the land, that when they traveled <coughs> through the land and prayed to God, that God would hear them and answer their prayers in order that God's fame would spread throughout the world. He also prays in foreshadow for prayers to be heard by those in exile because that's coming too, and none of this is wrong. None of it's bad. At this point in the story, Israel was just living and thriving through the wisdom and strength given to him by God, and the thought that he had the humility to pray for foreign travelers is a sign that there was still much about Solomon that was a man following after God's own heart. It spoke of the foundational principle that Israel was blessed, not to the exclusion of others, but for the benefit of others. <clears throat> they were blessed to be a blessing. For God's people then, as well as God's people today, that call will never change. If you have been blessed by salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were not given that blessing in order to keep it to yourself. You were given that blessing in order that you might spread God's love wherever He leads you. I mean, if you find yourself blessed and prosperous, if you find yourself with plenty, if you find yourself, dare I say it, content, then there is nothing wrong with that. Being secure in life and purpose doesn't make you worldly, it just makes you blessed. And I'm sure, hopefully, it is because of some God-given wisdom that you executed in managing time, talent, and treasure. <clears throat> money isn't the root of all evil, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's that back to that first things principle again. Putting money or prosperity on the throne of your life and treating it like it's a god, that is idolatry. That's evil. But if we seek first the kingdom, if we really do have Jesus on the throne, then blessing will follow. 
perhaps not material wealth. It's not like God calls everybody to be rich. Not everybody is going to be rich. But even many of the poorest people I know have a rich sense of their blessing. And therein lies the real question. What are you doing with your blessing? Are you hoarding them for yourself? Are you consumed by pride and vanity? Or are you using the blessing that you've been given in order to bless others? About a thousand years later, Jesus and his disciples would be in the temple. And Jesus looked up and he, and he saw the rich people in the temple putting their gifts into the offering box. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then he saw this poor widow come up and put in two small copper coins. And that struck Jesus. He said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of, out of, contributed out of their abundance, but she contributed out of her poverty. <clears throat> she put in all that she had to live on. Maybe sometimes we, we hear this call to be a blessing and assume that the, only the richly blessed can be a true blessing. That's a lie. It's a lie that needs to be named and shamed. Friends, know this, no matter how much money is in your bank account or no matter how, much, how educated you are, no matter how big your family is, regardless of your physical appearance or any other superficial matter, God desires you to use the blessings that you've been given to be a blessing to others. By the time Solomon had finished praying, he was on his knees with his hands outstretched to heaven. So here we have this king on his knees before God and uh, God's great people. And in his wisdom, he, he, he says these words, starting in verse 56 of chapter 8. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God this day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires, that all the peoples of all the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be truly, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes, and keeping his commandments as at this day. I mean, that's a pretty good prayer, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Inclining our hearts to him, he, he's praying for all the people of the earth to know God and that they would truly have integrity when they're following God. All of that's very good stuff. Solomon then seals the time by offering a sacrifice before the Lord, 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. <clears throat> and then he gives this great feast along with all of Israel and their neighbors. For seven days they partied. And then on the eighth day, he, he sent the people away. Closing time, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. The people went home joyful. 
because with glad hearts because of all the goodness that the Lord had shown them. They had a lot to be thankful for. It was a time of peace and prosperity, and they slept well. And at that time, as Solomon maybe is on his way back to his room, and he's alone for the first time in a while, at that time God appeared to King Solomon, just like he did at at Gibeon all those years ago. And God says this, starting in chapter 3, verse 3. I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then then I will establish your royal throne, the throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Good. Then God says, I'm not finished. But, Continuing in verse 6. If you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name, and I will cast out of, uh, and I will cast out of my sight, and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. This house, Solomon, that you have spent so much time, money, and energy pouring into, I will make it a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished, and they will hiss, and they will say, why has God done this to the land and to this house? And then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. And then Solomon probably had to go change his clothes because that must have been terrifying. But... You know, there was something that struck me about how to do, kind of do business with that. You know, repeatedly, throughout the, the text so far, throughout the story so far, we keep getting um, the character of David brought up. You've noticed that? If you follow me the way that David followed me. You know, as for you, I mean, God even said it in, in verse 4, as, and as for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness. When you look at the story of David, is every page integrity of heart and uprightness? I mean, it does say that David was a man after God's own heart. That's, that's tremendous. But then we also get, you know, the Uriah-Bathsheba incident. We also get <clears throat> David on his deathbed counseling Solomon on how to kill those who threaten the throne. David was a human being. David sinned. 
David wrote psalms that confessed to God and asked God to cleanse him. I think that's, that's, that's a note of encouragement here when we're dealing with this, um, what might be seen as a, as a warning. I think it is a warning. It might be seen as almost a threat. <clears throat> you know, if, if you turn from me, then, then, then you are breaking your end of the bargain. You are breaking your end of this covenant. But I don't think this was a threat about, persecu- about perfection. I think that ultimately the, the story of the biblical narrative is an invitation to life over death. It's, a, it's an invitation to um, experience what Jesus called the abundant life. <clears throat> 